before he was nailed to the cross, Jesus met in the upper room with his apostles. A very emotional, for them somewhat confusing, and yet very beautiful night. Tonight we come to try to the best we can to relive that moment, to receive that which God has for us, and to give to him what he would have us give to him tonight. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 5, 9. And they sing a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals. For thou wast slain and did purchase for God with thy blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Father God, tonight we seek to do that which is beyond the human ability to do. And that, O oh God, is to know the reality the reality in a way that human minds cannot grasp, that can be known only in the Spirit, the reality, God, of your love as expressed through Jesus Christ. Again, as we said in the beginning, Lord, we pray that tonight, by your Holy Spirit, you will enable us to give to you what you desire from our hearts and enable us to receive from you what you have for us tonight, forgiveness and love. Thank you, Father, for loving us enough for that which we commemorate this week, O oh Lord, the sacrifice for our sins. Join me in reciting really the, the great love verse of the New Testament, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Let's stand and sing about that particular love. Here is love. Here is love. Vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life are ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love 
will not remember who can cease to sing his praise he can ever be forgotten throughout him's eternal days on the mount of crucifixion fountains open deep and wide through the flood gates of god's mercy float of ass and gracious tide grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love let me all thy love accepting love the ever all my days let me seek thy kingdom only and my life be to thy praise thou alone shall be my glory nothing in the world i see thou hast cleansed and sanctified me thou thyself has set me free in thy truth thou dost direct me by thy spirit through thy word and thy grace my need is meeting as i trust in thee my lord of thy fullness thou art praying love and power on me without measure full and boundless drawing out my heart to thee Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 9 For while we were still helpless at the right time Christ died for the ungodly one will hardly die for a righteous man though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us much more than having been justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him what a joyous thought God's amazing grace amazing grace how sweet the sound 
that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but thou I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, that which you inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. John the Baptist stood with his disciples one day and saw Jesus in the distance and pointed to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount 
I know nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You can be seated. Thinking of that song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, reminds me of a question we sometimes ask when we're thinking about something difficult, and we think, what's it going to take to make such and such a thing happen? And tonight we're going to consider that nothing but the blood of Jesus, it took blood. Let me say that again, it took blood. A cross, something like this one, isn't the instrument of Jesus' torture and death, and especially isn't the instrument of our salvation without the shedding of blood. The writer of Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. The price for our salvation was paid in blood. No silver, no gold, nothing else of value or anything else costly or precious would do. It was the great exchange, Jesus' blood for our souls. Jesus said on the night of the Last Supper with his disciples in Matthew chapter 26, this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In Luke's account, he tells us Jesus said this blood is poured out for you. Jesus called it the blood of the New Covenant or the New Testament, a covenant's an agreement, and God initiated it, and he sealed it himself. He sealed it with the only thing that mattered, the only thing that was sufficient, the blood of Jesus. Why blood? Because that's what it took, life for life. We take sin far too casually, far too lightly. That's why we can speak of things like white lies or fibs, and that's why we can so casually dismiss pride and gossip, a lack of thankfulness to God, anger, worldliness, envy, jealousy, judgmentalism. Those are, according to one Christian author who wrote a book by this title, Respectable Sins. They're the sins that we tolerate. But murder, adultery, sexual immorality, and the other quote-unquote big sins aren't the only sins that required the blood of Jesus for forgiveness. The gospel's only for sinners who recognize their need of it. 
Many Christians think of the gospel as only for unbelievers. Once we trust in Christ, so the thinking goes, we no longer need the gospel. Well-intentioned believers often find it a little bit too easy to focus on the blatant sins of our evil culture. All you got to do is read the newspaper while ignoring their own more subtle sins, their respectable sins. We live in a culture where we do everything we can to to do feel good about ourselves. But the Puritans in the 17th century had a completely different perspective. They feared the effect of sin in their own lives, and they saw it for what it was. It's part of an ongoing battle within each of us. And they recognized, like the biblical writers, that any sin breaks God's law. One Puritan writer, Thomas Watson, wrote this, Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. We need to take sin seriously because God took sin seriously. My sin, my sin made Jesus' shedding of blood on the cross necessary. One way we know that any sin breaks God's law is what it took to save us. It took blood. A price had to be paid. It took blood. That was the price. We are unable to pay the price. So someone else has to pay it for us. But not just anyone, someone perfect. Without the blood of Jesus, the gospel is dead and we are deprived of eternal life. Again, Jesus told his disciples that night and tells us through the centuries in his word, this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sins. This is a recurrent theme in the Word of God. It's it's clearly foreshadowed in the Old Testament sacrificial system where the blood of sacrificial animals paid the price for covering over the sins of the people, but it was insufficient. That blood could only temporarily remove the stain of sin. What it took was not just blood, but the blood of a pure and perfect sacrifice. Now, Jesus himself declared himself to be that pure and perfect sacrifice. This is my blood, he said, shed for the remission of sins. And we see this theme shining brightly throughout the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote that almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. He also explained in Colossians chapter 1, we have redemption through the blood, even forgiveness of sins. And then we see the Apostle Peter in a verse that Jim just read, 1 Peter 1.18, we are not redeemed with silver and gold and precious stones, but with the precious blood of Christ. Then the Apostle John also agreed with Peter and Paul when he wrote, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So for those of us who are in Christ, blood has a whole new significance It's not just what flows through my veins, bringing vital oxygen to all my internal organs, keeping me alive. Blood is significant because it's the only thing that can keep us alive forever with Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's why it's called precious Precious means, in one sense, very, very valuable, but it means more than that. It means it's irreplaceable by anything else. There's no adequate substitution for something that's precious to you. 
We read in uh, the whole passage here in 1 Peter chapter 18, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So even though as believers in Christ our hearts have been renewed, and even though in Christ we have been freed from the complete dominion of sin in our lives, and even though God's Holy Spirit lives in our hearts, the reality is that sin still lurks within us. It still battles against our souls. And so because of that, in practical effect, sometimes we will act like the world around us that doesn't know Christ and live in denial of our own sin. It's because of this that we sometimes allow those acceptable sins to grow and to flourish in our lives. And it's why we need these means of grace that God has given us, especially the means of grace that God gave us in the Lord's Supper, which we will mark tonight. Even if we're saved, even if we're in Christ, we still need the good news of the gospel. The Lord's Supper reminds us that Christ shed his own blood for my soul. He suffered, bled, and died for my sin. That's why we don't just share communion once a month. That's why we don't just share communion on this night each year when we mark Maundy Thursday. We do it every time we gather here together on Sunday mornings. Any sin, no matter how small, no matter how subtle, is an assault on the majesty and sovereign rule of God. Sin has been called, and I think rightly so, cosmic treason. I believe that the primary, the most significant understanding of Jesus' sacrifice is what some theologians call penal substitutionary atonement. There are definitely other aspects of Jesus' sacrifice that are very important for us to grasp. For example, his victory over sin and death is certainly important. We talk about this here when we say Christus victor, Christ is victor over sin and death. His paying the ransom for us is also biblical. We saw that in a verse we read just a moment ago. But penal substitutionary atonement is foundational for these. And the primary way we must understand Jesus' blood shed for us. Penal means penalty or punishment. Substitutionary means taking our place. And atonement means making us right with God, satisfying his righteousness, satisfying his justice, and reconciling us to each other. This means that Jesus' blood shed on the cross for us satisfied both God's righteousness and his wrath. It reconciled our rebellion against God, the rebellion that is so evident in the fact that we are sinners. There's a great truth in the song that we often sing here in Christ alone, and the verse that says, and on the cross when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. It's the reality that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, and he took the place of us sinners, and he endured the wrath of God on the cross as a substitute for those sinners, for you, for me, who deserved instead of Jesus to experience that wrath. It's what we celebrate this week when we come to the communion table. It's what we remember when we have baptisms 
buried with him in his death and raised to newness of life, the scripture tells us. You know, the gospel is so strange, it's so odd, it's so foreign to our thinking that even to us as believers in Christ, we have to get it again and again and again. That's why God's given us these means of grace. And that's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Gordon said once our brains leak. We need these reminders, folks. We need these reminders. We read in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed before unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So Jesus is designated as the sacrifice of atonement because the cross is not only the place where the sinner places his sin, But he himself, Jesus himself, is the means of forgiveness through his blood. And on the cross, when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. An awesome truth, a humbling truth, a real revelation of several things, including God's love for us, but also including his wrath against everything that is unholy, including God's absolute hatred for sin, including the absolute horror of any sin, making such a horrible wrath absolutely justifiable. We diminish God's holiness and wrath when we fail to recognize how evil and sinful that sin really is. We also diminish his love when we fail to recognize the good news, the gospel, that God the Father's wrath fell upon God the Son instead of on we, who deserved it so richly. There was an early church leader named Anselm, and he had a great response to those who thought that Christ's death was not a vicarious substitution, not made in our place. He said, you have not yet considered how great your sin is. We tend to downplay our sin. We also tend to downplay the holiness of God. Sin and holiness, Scripture declares, cannot stand together. If divine wrath fell not upon Christ, William Newell wrote, it must fall upon us, for God cannot let sin pass. One of the most wonderful things about our faith is this. We humans are never the ones who take the initiative or make that ultimate sacrifice. We can only respond to his offer of mercy. God himself provided the way for his wrath to be satisfied. Theologian Tony Lane wrote this, For most Western Christians, hate is the last word that would be associated with love. But a love that does not contain hatred of evil is not the love of which the Bible speaks. Not because we need to somehow balance God's wrath with his love as rival attributes, but because God's love itself implies his wrath. Without his wrath, God is not simply loving in the sense that the Bible portrays his love. It's very easy for us to lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ is our only hope. When we measure everything by our own happiness rather than by God's holiness, our sense of being sinners can easily fall by the wayside. 
It can even become offensive to us if we characterize God's forgiveness by only that one attribute of his, namely love, then we cheapen God's forgiveness, and it becomes common, and it becomes ordinary. When we make God's forgiveness only about his love, then his love isn't consistent with other vital aspects of his character, aspects like his justice and his holiness and his righteousness. That makes love less than truly merciful. In other words, when we separate his love, on the one hand, from his holiness, then it's not about forgiving. It's not about having compassion toward those who deserve judgment. But that's what the gospel is. In the blood of Jesus, God found a way to love sinners that does not violate his own holy character. The good news of the gospel must include the understanding that we're saved from the wrath of God which all of us so richly deserve. The gospel is always bad news, good news. The only reason it's good news is because we avoid the bad news by the blood of Jesus. In saving us hopeless sinners, God doesn't dumb down his standards. He doesn't relax his righteousness or his justice or his holiness for the sake of love. That kind of love is just squishy and it's cultural and it's not real love. What he does is he clothes those of us who are in Christ with Jesus Christ's own righteousness. In doing this, God's justice and his holiness are not sacrificed to his love. Instead, his love and his justice are both satisfied. If you think about it for very long, do we really want a God who just overlooks sin? What would you think of the man whose wife was raped and murdered, yet this man was completely unaffected emotionally by this, not angry about that crime at all? Wouldn't we tend to think there was something a little bit wrong with that? Would we think that's really a loving response? Yes, of course, there can be forgiveness. But to be unaffected by this? At the cross of Christ, God the Father's own wrath falls on God the Son. And that wrath was satisfied for eternity for those of us who are in Christ. At the cross, through Jesus' blood, God made a way for his mercy and love to triumph over his justice and judgment without just dismissing the judgment, without doing away with that. He didn't overlook sin. He paid the price for sin himself. One writer says that old theologians put it this way, we take refuge from God in God. The only escape from God's wrath is in God's mercy. If you cling to the cross, all God's wrath falls on the one nailed there. Now that's the gospel, folks, and that's truly good news indeed. Let's remember that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper each week in our Sunday service. Let's think about this as we come to his marvelous table of grace tonight. Let's remember that when we sing songs like in Christ alone. Let's remember that the next time we sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. Just as importantly, let's remember this in our daily lives as we seek to serve the King of Kings whose justice and mercy meet at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Precious is the flow.
that makes me whiter than snow. It was the price that had to be paid in his blood because that's what it took to redeem us, to forgive us. That's the best news possible. And we gratefully come to remember that tonight. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, satisfied the wrath of God the Father. We're grateful for this, Father. We're grateful that we can cling to your cross. We can sit under the blood of Jesus and be cleansed from our sin. We're grateful that even though that's what it took, that you were willing to pay that price, Father. So we come with grateful hearts now. We are a grateful people, Father. We stand in awe of your mercy. And we stand in awe of your perfect plan to satisfy your wrath, but also to satisfy your holiness, your righteousness, and your justice. May we ponder these things now, Father, as we come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen. The church at Corinth, as was true of every church in the early days and for many centuries, observed the Lord's Supper every Sunday. But they also began having a church-wide dinner every Sunday called the Agape, the Love Feast. And after a while, they began to incorporate the Lord's Supper into the Agape. Reverence and awe for the Lord's Supper vanished. As people visited, it was a social event. The Apostle Paul was appalled. And so he reminded them of the words that Bill just quoted, the words of our Lord on that night. Here's what he said to them. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, this is the words of Paul now to the church, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now his rebuke against them for the irreverence they had at the table. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let that man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, it is does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But 
if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. We humans are so self-deceived. It is important before we come to the Lord's table that every one of us, before God, examine our hearts, our lives, our attitudes, our thoughts. But because we're self-deceived, it is easy for some of those things to hide in the basement of our soul. For that reason, we cry out to God, O Lord, search me. Show me what you see, that of which I need to repent, that I might do so, God, and come to the Lord's table, a sinner, saved by your grace, but one who acknowledges that. Let's stand and sing that prayer tonight. Search me, O God. Search me, O God. And know my heart today. Try me, O Savior. Know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. I praise Thee, Lord, for cleansing me from sin. Fulfill Thy word and make me pure within. fire where once I burn with shame grant my desire to magnify thy name Lord take my life and make it holy thine fill my your heart with thy great love divine. Take all my will, my passion, and my pride. I now surrender, Lord, in me Tonight, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, there will be prayer teams available to pray with you. Whatever might be upon your heart, if you have some besetting sin from which you desire deliverance, the prayer teams are available to pray with you about this. If there's some burden that just doesn't seem to want to go away, avail yourself of the ministry of the prayer teams. We ask the prayer teams now to proceed to the two stations on the north side of the auditorium, the Eason's and the Harkins, if they will do that. And during our time of communion, should you desire prayer, avail yourself of this ministry.
Oh God, tonight, we do pray, Lord, that by the faith that you have put within us, that this unleavened bread through us truly will be the body of Jesus. And the fruit of the vine will truly be the redeeming blood of our Lord Jesus as we receive into our human bodies you, O God, acknowledging that whatever life we have in the Spirit is that which you have given us. Therefore, Lord, we consecrate these to you that a special holiness might attend them. May your presence be real to us individually as we partake in the body and blood of Jesus our Lord. You may be seated, but I ask the three elders who are serving the Lord's Supper to come now to the foot of the cross. So took the cup and said, This cup, which is the cup of blessing, is the blood of the new covenant. New covenant in my blood. All of you drink it. Table, I would design to this table, I would shop. 